0: For those of you that are joining us for the first time, my name's Jonathan. I am a pharmacist out of Richmond, Virginia. My co-host, Brad, is a CPA, and together we host the Choose a Fi radio podcast. It's a a twice-a-week show on Mondays and Fridays. Monday will feature a new topic or idea, and Friday gives us a chance to go more in-depth with each individual topic and actually bring feedback from our community in. So it's a crowdsource show where your voice, the voice of the Fi community, is heard around the world. Without any further ado... Welcome to the ultimate crowdsourced personal finance show. This is your Friday Roundup.
1: You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online.
0: Okay, guys, welcome back. Congratulations. You made it to Friday. Your weekend is eminently here with me today. I have my partner, Brad, here with me in the studio. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing pretty well, Jonathan. Now, wait a second. I happen to know for a fact that that is totally untrue. You've been feeling like garbage all weekend, but I appreciate you humoring us and coming on the <laughs> show today. I know you've been battling a, a fever and a, a kind of the whole nine yards for the last couple of days, right?
2: Yeah, it's been a weird week in my house. My, uh, my kids got this horrible, like, Fever for a bunch of days, and Laura and I thought we both escaped it, but unfortunately, I succumbed. And uh, yeah, just haven't been feeling well the last couple of days. So, if I sound a little different or I talk a little less than normal on this podcast, I apologize, but you'll get to uh, be regaled by Jonathan for, for more of the time here today.
0: <laughs> yes, this can be the Jonathan show today, no problem at all. Hey, works for me. <laughs> okay. So if we're not going to talk about you, let's talk about me for a second. So my wife, my son, and I went for a run slash walk down at Pony Pasture, which is a combination of walking paths and trails and road that go right along the James River. It's also a fantastic place to go tubing in the summer. Those of you that are familiar with the Richmond area may have been there. Very, very cool place. And on our way back from this run, we actually noticed this woman that had apparently broken her ankle and she was being helped back to the parking lot, which was still like three quarters of a mile away by, I guess, a fellow and and I guess her daughter. And frankly, they were struggling. So I offered to pitch in and help. And I realized, you know, it's one of those no good deed goes unpunished type things. I realized like 30 minutes into this, that we'd only made it like two football fields and we had like a quarter to a half mile left. Disaster. But I look back and my son is in this Graco jogger stroller. And Frankly, out of self-preservation, I asked my wife if she would hold our son, and we then offered to use the Greco as a medical stretcher, which worked absolutely perfectly. And we breezed through the last fifteen minutes or so. It was funny because it reminded me of those old trusted everywhere commercials that you used to see for batteries, like Duracell, trusted by emergency response teams everywhere. But yeah, uh, Greco, just want to give you guys a shout out. You made a you made a very sturdy product, and it saved my butt the other day. Part-time podcaster part-time superhero. Yours truly, Jonathan, choose FI.
2: Very impressive. Thank very you. impressive. Thank you.
0: So I know that this past Monday, we released the second part in our series with JL Collins, the stock series. And it was focusing on this idea of a 1929 situation. And what if a crash is coming? Now, I want to go ahead and say this. We are not these particularly pessimistic people. In fact, I think we're very optimistic people about the future and what it holds and what it means to embrace this five philosophy for your financial future, as well as every other aspect of your life. It's a superpower, right? But it's such a valuable conversation to have because learning from history can help us with our mental game as we go into an unknown future. And that's what this conversation did. It allowed us to explore with the author, JL Collins, The Simple Path to Wealth, explore what happens when the market goes through a 50% crash. Do you go into your bunker, pull all your money out and buy ammo and gasoline? Or is there another approach to this? So it was a very valuable conversation. And personally, even though I had spent a lot of time reading the Simple Path to Wealth and also the stock series on J.L. Collins' website, it helped me really solidify those concepts in my mind. So I thoroughly enjoyed the episode. What about you, Brad? Yeah, no, I totally
2: agree. I I think the mental aspect of this, just like we talk about almost all the time here, the the mental aspect is really the largest determining factor for success. So you have to know that there are going to be crashes, there are going to be downturns, there are going to be bear markets. But in the next ten or twenty years, but I can almost certainly tell you in the next forty or fifty years, over your investing lifetime, these things are going to happen. They are as close to a certainty as possible. So. If you can't deal with that right now, if you can't steal yourself for those downturns, then you're going to have a really difficult time. Because, right, Jim said essentially the worst thing that you could do is sell at the bottom. It, it's too late at that point And you've screwed yourself. You need, to, you need to really stay the course. So I think even just looking at my investing lifetime as a quote-unquote adult, since I graduated college, They're more or less, I I basically just missed the tech bubble crash around 2000, 2001, but but that happened. And then the great recession of 2007, 2008. And I mean, that's just in my fairly short 15 or 16 year investing lifetime. That's two fairly calamitous things. But yet, because my savings rate is so significant, because I've been living this five lifestyle, my net worth has skyrocketed. So, I mean, that, that kind of brings me to that illustration that Jim talked about, right? The, the 40 years from 1975 to 2015 and his time machine. And he painted this picture of all these horrific things that happened over those 40 years. But even still, stocks earned just under 12% per year. And that is truly remarkable thing. So I know Jonathan, I I talked about a bunch of things there. I'm sure you want to uh, unpack a little bit, but I'll throw it over to you.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be really cool for us to take a few minutes in this particular episode and get a chance to maybe throw some actual numbers in there as to what that might actually look like and explore the psychology for a few different cases a little bit more specifically than maybe we did in that exact interview. The place I want to start is for the person that's in their 20s or 30s that's seeing the stock market right now and saying, well, I've finally made my first $10,000 and I have enough to invest in VTSAX. I can buy that that VTSAX fund and I want to get this ball rolling. But they're like, but the market's so high. What if it goes down? It took me so long to earn this. This represents a year of my life and I'm putting it in the market. What if the market tanks? And I think that if you listen to that episode, it came across that that is a real fear and it's an understandable fear. But if you truly heard what we were trying to get across in that episode, you would hear that that, frankly, if you're a 20 year old, that is literally the best thing that could ever happen to you. Now just pause on that for a second and then we can dive into that and explore that a little further bum 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 (laughs) yes perfect all right let's let's take that piecemeal you have ten thousand dollars you're 20 years old you invest it right now while the stock market is at or near it an all-time high and then tomorrow it tanks and your ten thousand dollars your blood sweat and tears your ten thousand dollars is cut down it's lost ninety percent of its value you have ten percent of it left so you have a thousand dollars in that VTSEX fund The reason you have to learn to look at this a little bit differently is because that did not go to zero. It got cut by 90%. Now, here's what you have to do. You have to realize that you still own the exact same number of shares that you did before. Forget the value of the account. You don't care about the initial value because you're not retiring now. You're retiring potentially 10, 20, 30 years from now. But what it means is that VTSAX, or any individual broad-based index fund, has gone on sale by 90%. And you have either this short-term window or maybe potentially a 10-year or 20-year window that you are going to get to purchase it at these press prices. So now when you put your next $1,000 over the next year into the account, assuming that it just putters right around the bottom there, every additional $1,000 that you're putting into this year that you're investing is purchasing the equivalent of what you were getting for $10,000 the year before. Now, follow me on this. That's why JL said, The best thing that can happen to you as a young investor is for you to have a market crash. If you have to choose between you putting your $10,000 in and it going up and continuing to go up, Two to 3% every single year for the next 20 or 30 years. If you could instead pick between that being one scenario and the other scenario being where you put $10,000 in and the next day it crashes and it drops by 90% and then it putters along the bottom for an extended period of time while you're continuing to add new money in, that's the scenario that you want to pick. Now, either of those could happen. It doesn't really matter. But for you to be able to mentally comprehend that and get excited about that possibility gives you so much power and so. Much more courage than if you're just blindly looking at a number, thinking to yourself, the stock market's so high, I can't imagine it going higher.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's no way to time the market, which is what that last thought kind of implies. It's so high, I can't imagine it going higher. You have no idea. Just like Jim mentioned in the episode, the stock market is at an all time high, but this might be the lowest that it ever goes, right? We have no idea. It could go on 10 more years going up and then have a crash but still not reach today's point. We we literally have no idea. And that's that's an important point. And also, I think to take a step back on what Jonathan's saying because what he said was so crucial is that when you're buying VTSAX, you're buying a tiny little piece of every publicly traded corporation in America. And in his example, when you spend $10,000, To buy X number of shares of VTSAX and in turn all those American companies, you were fine paying it. But then if it dropped 90%, then $1,000 buys that exact same amount of all 3,000 plus of those US companies. And that is a remarkable thing. So, like what Jim kind of alluded to in the episode, was that as long as you believe in the resilience of America and the American companies, now obviously, if something absolutely truly catastrophic happened, that America or the world would never recover from. Well, I think we have bigger issues than
0: what's happening to VTSA. If it happens, I hope it's a zombie apocalypse. I (laughs) I don't know. There's like some part of me, if I can pick how it happens after all the time I've spent watching walking dead, please let it be the zombie apocalypse. (laughs) Do we get to pick?
2: Yeah, man. That that, (laughs) that would be pretty cool. <laughs> no, but seriously, right? Like, that's what we're t- the level of stuff we're talking about here.
0: The thing that I wanted to focus on just a hair more was this idea yeah, yeah. of a black swan event. So, there are plenty of people that have drawn up the doomsday scenario, and, and it's reasonable to have that conversation to talk about the what ifs. The problem is, if you spend all of your time, all of your focus, planning on how to prevent this incredibly rare but theoretically possible scenario. Then Jim's point is you're leaving so much money on the table. So follow me on this. You're saying, I believe in my heart of hearts that there is at least a 0.1% chance that over the next 10 or 20 years that we are truly going to see Armageddon. That is what I believe. And and as a result of that, I I don't believe that this scenario that you have laid out will work. So because I believe that there is this, if that 0.1% possibility chance happens, I think the best play is to go arm up on gasoline, to go arm up on beans that won't go bad, to build a bunker in my backyard and to hedge up on gold and silver. You can do that. But by placing all of your energy, time, and money into that, if you're right great. I hope that it works out for you. But if you're wrong, because you've bet on the 0.1%, anybody else that bet on the 99.999% chance, which one of those, you know, one person's going to be wrong and one person's going to be right. And if you are right, you're maybe marginally better because essentially if the whole world tanks, you're screwed either way. But if you're wrong, you have left probably hundreds of thousands, if if not millions of dollars on the table by planning your whole life around a black swan event, which we started the conversation by saying is it an incredibly small percentage chance that that could happen. Possible, but theoretically I could go buy a lottery ticket and win million dollars tomorrow, 2 million, 10 million. Also incredibly rare. I would rather put my time, money and interest into a much more predictable outcome like the simple path to wealth.
2: Yeah, I think the kind of like betting aspect of it is is really an essential point here. Of course, there are rare scenarios, these black swans, in just about every walk of life, but you can't let yourself be consumed by them. That's a terrible way to go through life. That kind of bizarre scenario that you set up of the prepper and their guns and oil and food. And I can understand that, I suppose, from a a slight theoretical perspective, though not the silver and gold. I think that's, if we're talking zombie apocalypse, that those kind of trinkets aren't Zombies don't like
0: gold. It's a rare commodity, you know?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I don't think they watch Fox. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: <They're> <laughs> Zombies don't watch Fox. No, no. <laughs>
2: uh, oh man, I got
1: none.
2: <laughs> oh man, this is funny. Um But anyway, you just can't live your life like that. We're talking, you make the best decisions with the information at hand. I think that's that's kind of how you have to look at life. And I mean, sometimes you make the best decision and bad things happen. You could play poker and you can play 10 hands and have the best odds in each of those 10 hands and lose them all. That's theoretically possible and very conceivable if you play over a short enough period of time, over 10 hands. But if you played over 100,000 hands, And you went in with the best mathematical odds every single time you're going to win pretty much on average with, with what the math tells you. So it's making the best decision with the information at hand. That's kind of how I look at life just generally. And the best information that I have is that buying a small piece of every us publicly traded company at this rock bottom expense ratio, like with VTSAX or similar funds at Schwab, and fidelity. And in fact, we've seen Schwab has the the lowest fees currently, but if you can do that, if you can buy this piece and you can avoid expensive financial advisors, if you can avoid the taxes for trading the commissions, all this other nonsense that people throw money away with and just stay the course, keep on pumping the money in, right? Keeping that savings rate high every week, every month, every year, and just dumping it into the market reliably. Then Jim said, and like I've said before to quote loosely paraphrased uh, John Bogle, you're going to wake up in 40 years. And when you open that statement, you're going to need a cardiologist because you're going to have a freaking heart attack with how much money you have. So that is in my estimation, the absolute best way to go as far as putting the odds in our favor as Jonathan, uh, Jonathan's joke kind of fell flat on Jim's Thank you. Did
0: you at least get it? Of course, man. I'm not a
2: moron. I just, uh,
0: (laughs) I can't get anything. Crickets, total crickets.
2: No, no, no. I, (laughs) I I didn't think in fairness, I didn't think Jim, uh, got the reference. So I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to harp on it, you know?
0: (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. You know, I think when you, one of the things that comes along with this, let's say you decide, okay, this is great. And I've decided to do the Simple Path to Wealth. I've decided that I'm not going to bet my future on the 0.1% zombie apocalypse. I think that's probably a smart choice. But Kevin on our Facebook group said, JL Collins mentioned that there were certain conditions where it may warrant taking all of your chips off the table with the understanding that no one is predicting anything In his personal opinion, though, what would he consider those conditions? And I think when we explored that a little bit more with JL, it came to the point that most likely... It's unpredictable, and you won't be able to see it. Now, he mentioned in that particular episode that Joseph Kennedy knew it was time to take the cards off the table when he was starting to get stock tips from his shine boys. I don't know exactly what that scenario would look like. Maybe if you are starting to see hyperinflation. I have a feeling that you really can't predict that sort of thing, and it's probably not even worth it to try because when you're doing broad-based index funds, you're not betting on one particular stock. You're betting on the economy at large. So even if it does have a meltdown, as long as there is still a basis, ultimately you own those shares, you own that piece of the economy. And I think for me personally, I can't even imagine a scenario in which I would take my chips off the table because I would be assuming that. I'm trying to time the market. So I kind of felt like we started with that and then we worked our way back and came to the point that you just can't time it.
2: Yeah, I think I would agree with you, certainly in in my own life. I would like to follow up with Jim. I think we should send that to him and hopefully maybe he can uh, respond with a voicemail. I think that would be very useful.
0: Keep in mind that essentially what you are talking about is the imminent occurrence of a black swan event, which some people probably feel is more pressing than others. I, I don't think there's a lot of point to spending too much time sitting on this in this particular conversation, I would imagine it would have to look like a war that happened on our own soil. It would have to look like something that completely devastated our infrastructure that we frankly couldn't recover from. It would have to be something that's infinitely worse than anything that we've seen up to this point. And, and if you mention if you remember that conversation that, that JL had going from 1975 all the way up through 2015, There was a lot of bad stuff. There were multiple wars that happened. There was a tech bubble crash. So I think that there will probably be some sort of student loan bubble crash. I think it's similar to the housing market. You had a lot of people that took out loans and don't have the jobs to pay them back. I think that that will be crashed. I don't think that's a black swan. I think that's an opportunity for people that recognize that there is nothing that has actually gone wrong with the infrastructure. That was yet just another bad deal that people signed up for. That is not a black swan. So that's an opportunity. And if you mentally prepare yourself for that, when it does happen, it probably will happen at some point. I don't have a time. Timeline for that. But if you're ready for that with this episode, there's a play there. That's not you taking your chips off the table. And I would not recommend that you do that, especially if you're in broad based index funds. But if there were to be some sort of event that were to devastate the United States infrastructure and permanently damage our ability to be a dynamic economy in the future, that has to be what that looked like. And you can let your imagination run wild for a few minutes, but I encourage you after you've done that exercise to come back to reality and control the things which you can control, which is your savings rate. And with that in mind, spend less than you earn, invest the difference over time and preferably do it with broad based index funds.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's the perfect summary, right? That is the essential aspect of how we think we all should live our lives. So it's savings rate, it's keeping your expenses low and it's saving in broad based index funds. Sure. We can spin these wild fantasies of horrible things. And like you said earlier, we're not negative people at all and there's no way we could predict any of this stuff, but even still then what, what would your other option be? If we wanted to really go down the rabbit hole, which, which we don't want to, like, I don't even know what my other option would be at that point. Oh, uh, can
0: we go find a prepper at some point and just give them the floor for an hour and just, yeah, just, I think it'd be fascinating. Let's, right? let's do it, man. Let's set it yeah. up for 2018. I want to find the absolute best prepper and just let them have the floor for an hour and let's see what happens.
2: Yeah. And that's not uh that's not poking fun either. I mean, people have difference differences of opinion, right? and I'm sure that person thinks as strongly as we do about VTSAX and living below our means. Right. So, and I, I think that's another important point is that, you know, you mentioned before, and uh, we've been accused of a false dichotomy before. And, uh, I just want to make sure this is clear that you're not saying the only two options are zombie apocalypse or follow VTSAX and only VTSAX or Jim's opinion, right? Like people of good faith can think there are different ways to invest, right? Some people like to invest in bonds. Some people like to invest in international and and that is all legitimate. I mean, some people like to buy individual stocks, right? So that's fine. I mean, that's not what we advise because again, I look at life kind of like a bet. so the best information that I have is that I cannot outperform the market with my limited intelligence and limited knowledge. So why even bother when you look at the stats and you see X percent, you know, depending on the the research study, it's somewhere in 90 plus percent of people perform better when they just buy a broad based low cost index fund, than trying to get miraculously lucky and outperforming themselves or even luckier in finding some financial advisor that can do better. Right? So I'm not going to bother with that because simplicity is important to me. So I'm gonna focus on what my best bet is. And for me, and again, you can disagree with this, but for me, my best bet is VTSAX and low-cost index funds. So that's the crucial aspect that I focus on. And that is what I can control. I can control putting my money in low-fee index funds. I can control my expenses and therefore my savings rate. And I think that those couple of little things that I can control. Are going to set up a pretty successful life. So that's how I view my investing life.
0: And I know that there are people that do more creative things that do more complex things that maybe take a more advanced approach. And like you said, because in many cases in the FI community, it's still based on an extremely high savings rate. They're going to be fine. But this idea of simplicity is so powerful. If you only have one bet and you're either going to hit it or you're not going to hit it. I would rather take the sure thing, and that's the simple path to wealth. Now, if you have a high enough income, and you want to spend the time doing it. I don't have a problem with someone saying, you know what? I'm going to take the simple path to wealth for for 70% of my path, or 80 or 90% of my path, and then I'm going to have a small pie over here that I'm going to explore some more creative things. Where if I burn out and it fails, it's not going to prevent me from hitting my number. But maybe there's a higher return. A lot of people make choices to do things that are not the simplest approach, and, and that's completely fine. But if you have one bet and it's all or nothing you want to give yourself the best chance for hitting your FI number it's got to be the simple path to wealth for the retail investor. This is the best path that you could hope for. Now you can tweak it at the margins. There's room for intellectual differences at the margins of which broad-based index fund you use. You hear that Buffett himself says S&P 500, and Jim says VTSAX. You hear people say that maybe you should have a little bit more international, or maybe you should place some extra weight in mid-cap or small-cap. But in general, these broad-based index funds more or less come as close to guaranteeing you an outcome as you could hope for. So with that in mind. I want to move to this next thing, which is this idea of rebalancing. So Nancy had this feedback and she said, I greatly admire JL Collins and I enjoyed the podcast, but I do feel that he missed the mark somewhat in the discussion about asset allocation and the role bonds play his discussion about asset allocation, mainly focused on people panicking. Could they tolerate volatility? i.e. not sell when the market is down, people being too nervous about a high stock allocation. In the wealth preservation stage, money is not going into the portfolio, it's only coming out, and it could be coming out when the market has tanked, thereby locking in losses. Even if you don't panic and sell, no money is going into the portfolio to balance this out, and it could be years until the market recovers with with withdrawals that you're living on coming out all that time. Bonds play a critical role in dampening the volatility, which I will say Jim did specifically mention and reducing potential losses being locked in. It's not only how comfortable you are with volatility, it's whether you can afford it. It sounded like Jonathan asked him specifically about that point several different ways, but I don't think JL ever really made this point or explained how this works. Don't take more risks than you can afford, especially in the wealth preservation stage, and don't take more risks than you need to if you have enough. Why take a lot of risk? But I just want to reiterate that I enjoyed the podcast overall. Nancy, I think you hit on a lot of points that I was feeling as well. And frankly, I listened to the episode probably five or six times just while I was editing it, while I was trimming it up and getting it ready for publication. And after listening to it multiple times, I completely agree with you that at first I feel like Jim didn't nail it directly, which is why I was asking it multiple times. But after I listened to it for my third or fourth time, I did feel like I got the answer I was looking for, but I got it from three different places. So I'm going to try to tie those together for you today and hopefully i will get jim's stamp of approval on this we'll see but i'll also talk to brad about and just see whether or not my own thoughts make sense so jl split this up into a couple different thoughts and i think for us to illustrate this point we need to first start with what he actually said which is bonds smooth the ride that's basically where he starts from But I think in order for us to explore this any further, we need to actually talk about why bonds smooth the ride. And it comes down to correlation. Bonds and stocks, if they're not inversely correlated, they are at least substantially different in how they react to market turns. When stocks go down, bonds if they don't go up, they at least stay stable. And so I think the only way to really communicate this idea is to talk about some numbers. So let's assume that you have moved from the wealth building stage or the wealth accumulation phase, and now you are in the wealth preservation stage and you have a million dollars in your taxable and tax deferred accounts. We're not going to really go into the differences between those two right now. We'll just assume you're at the age where you can pull these out and they are split up in JL's preferred ratio for himself, which is the 75-25. So if you have a million dollars in these vehicles, that means that you would have 750 in your equities or VTSAX in in JL's case, and then you would have 25% or $250,000 in bonds. Now let's assume that the market crashes. So it goes down 50%. Bonds are relatively stable. Let's assume that they are 100% stable, that they don't go up. Now they might. Sometimes bonds will actually go up, but but let's just assume for this conversation that they stay 100% stable. So the market crashes 50% and your bonds, their value remains at 250000 But your stocks, they're incredibly volatile. So they are going to ride that crash down to the bottom. And if they go down by 50%, your 750000 has been cut down to 375000 So now you no longer have a 75-25 ratio. Your allocation of bonds has actually gone up and it now represents 40% of your wealth.
2: Yeah, to just slow that down for a minute here. So so we had seven hundred and fifty thousand in equities, we had two hundred and fifty thousand in bonds, right? The seven hundred fifty got cut in half down to three seventy-five, and you still have in Jonathan's hypothetical two hundred and fifty thousand in bonds. Okay, so now you actually have six hundred and twenty-five thousand total, right? Three hundred seventy-five plus the two fifty, and your two hundred and fifty thousand in bonds out of 625 is 40%. So it, your allocation went from 25% up to 40 in that scenario. So I think the important part of why this smoothed the ride is just a really is fairly obvious, right? Is if you had 100% in equities, your $1 million originally would have dropped down to 500,000, but instead, it your total net worth dropped to 625. Okay. So by having 25% in bonds in Jonathan's hypothetical, you actually have $125,000 higher net worth than you otherwise would have. Now that sounds great. And that kind of gets to Nancy's point of why take a lot of risk, right? If you have enough, why take a lot of risk? But I think as, as Jim referenced in the podcast equities will have a significantly higher return over a long period of time, there will be more volatility. Okay, so you will see more of these huge downs, huge ups, but over time equities will return higher, which is why Jim recommends 100% for many people for decades potentially. And that's why I'm 100% in equities because I'm okay with the volatility, the short-term volatility, even if that short-term might be a couple of years, but I want a higher overall long-term return. So that's why to me, it is worth some risk because I want a higher return. Otherwise the argument would just be put everything in bonds, put everything in cash, right? Like, which is actually riskier which is kind of a side topic that we are going to talk about. Uh, Jonathan, I want to come back to volatility and what's riskier over the long term. But I know you want to jump back in.
0: Yeah, and I want to come back to that idea of rebalancing. But just because where you went was so valuable, I think we should talk about that. Being okay with volatility is not just psychological. It's also financial and it involves flexibility. That's the key here. And that's why when we started this episode, we talked about the idea of flexibility and reducing your lifestyle, reducing your core expenses. Jim gave us the perfect Perfect analogy for the difference between the person that has the sixty or seventy thousand dollar lifestyle, but they can cut it down to thirty if they need to, as opposed to the person that has a forty thousand dollar lifestyle, but they need every single penny of that in order to maintain that lifestyle. And so, those are the two different situations in which the person has more flexibility, and because they have more flexibility, they can tolerate more volatility. And if you have that flexibility, that allows you to accept higher levels of risk because you are able to pivot with what the market does and make adjustments to your lifestyle. And that, once you bring all those tools together, that's gonna be what's gonna allow you to determine your asset allocation and your ratio of stocks to bonds. The more volatility you can tolerate, the less conservative you need to be. I could talk about this much more. I hope that that's enough to communicate the point, but when you have this person or persons over the age of 60 maybe 70, 80, their ability to scale their lifestyle, to reflect the returns of the market, that is going to directly impact how much volatility they can accept. And if they have no margin in their life, they have nothing that they can adjust that means that they cannot accept as much volatility, which means that their asset allocation would have to be more conservative—70-30, 60-40, etc. They cannot accept the volatility; they need more security. Bonds provide that stability, and they're sacrificing returns. And hopefully, they already have enough there that that is going to provide what they need, and they don't need to accept any more risk. But it is that ability to accept volatility that allows someone to accept more risk, and then, as a result of that, have a higher stock allocation. So let's talk. Let's go back to our initial example here and talk just for a second about what rebalancing would look like. And in many cases, keep in mind that you're doing this rebalancing when possible inside of your tax deferred or tax advantaged vehicles. That way you aren't responsible for paying or having to worry about capital gains on this money. So with the example that we just spoke about, we started with someone that had 75-25. So 75 in stocks, 25% in bonds. The market crashed by 50%. The bonds remained relatively stable. And then when you do the math on what their new allocation is based on their present situation, they are now down to a 40% in bonds and 60% in stocks. Now, because they want to maintain a certain... Allocation In this case, JL decided on 75-25 based on his own current risk tolerance. And as you know, he's into geo-arbitrage. He has a little income coming in the side. He's perfectly willing to adjust his life to current circumstances. It makes sense to me that he can absorb a little bit more risk. He is going to do some rebalancing, and he is going to do that inside of his tax advantage vehicle. So what he's going to do is he's actually going to sell some of his bonds, which are weighted at 40%. So he is going to sell 15% of his portfolio, and he's going to take that from the... The component that was in his in his bonds. And when he sells that, he's going to take the proceeds from that and then purchase additional stocks, which is because remember, going back to this first part, the stock market's on sale. It just crashed 50%. He is able to now purchase more than he was before it crashed. And that is then allowing him to get his asset allocation back into line. And it is allowing him to then have more of the market for less. And so when the market does its thing and it goes back up, he is. Able to enjoy that ride as well, so he has a play there, and it works for him because he has some margin in his life that he can accept that volatility, and ultimately end up getting farther ahead. Okay, so that was all related directly to the episode that we did on Monday. I hope that between these two, maybe you listened to them a couple times, but I hopefully that makes sense and that we presented that in a clear, logical manner. Uh, I think to maybe round this out, Brad, I know you have a couple of practical examples that you're personally aware of that maybe you could share with us as well.
2: Yeah, you bet. And, and this kind of all ties into Nancy's question. I think it was a really intelligent question. So I appreciate it certainly. And I wanted to get back to the why take a lot of risk? And I think maybe the reason why Jim couldn't answer the question as specifically as, as the two of you uh, certainly wanted him to is that it depends on the facts on the ground, right? I guess my parents are a perfect example. They much to my chagrin, they had a financial advisor, though. I'm happy to say they moved everything to Vanguard recently, since my mom is a, uh, choose a High listener. Yeah, so mom. good job, mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she did great. And uh but yeah, they had this financial advisor and what do these people do? They didn't spend 10 hours going through every detail of my parents' life. They gave them a little questionnaire and said, "How aggressive or conservative are you? What's your age? You know, all this other nonsense." And my parents said they're conservative because they don't know anything about the stock market. I still vividly remember, this is so pathetic. This was like the cautionary tale in my household in like the eighties or nineties, whenever it was, my dad bought Verizon stock because some bozo at his office gave him a tip and the thing plummeted and they literally never bought stocks again. It was this one thing that seared into my memory. It's just so funny how that works, but they're conservative with their money because they just didn't know any better. Okay. And they're in their sixties, you know, they have some money and a couple IRAs, whatever. And basically what this, financial advisor did was put them into 100% bonds. Okay. So I think the return was something like, it was absurd. It was like 0.8% or something like that. And they were charging them a 1% advisory fee. So, so I mean, they were guaranteed to lose by definition. So the brilliance of this advisor was guaranteeing my parents
0: to lose money. So <laughs> it's, <not, laughs> it's not funny. It's so sad. I'm so sorry. Right? But and wow. how many millions of people Isn't are there like, like a fiduciary responsibility or something like that? Well, that was well, horrible. I mean, listen, you know,
2: I mean, they said they were conservative. They were in their 60s. You know, I can vaguely understand where the guy's coming from. I think it's, you know.
0: You could make more than that in your savings account, which is like 0.1%. I mean, literally if you're, if you're, if you're making 0.8% and you're, they're charging them 1% fees under management, they're losing 0.2%. Like they could literally make more in a checking account.
2: Without a doubt. No question about it. So that's like the background. But when you actually go into their situation, my dad has a small pension and their expenses are pretty low. They live in a little condo and they just, they live a fairly frugal life and, and this pension covers all of their expenses. So in all likelihood, unless something catastrophic happens to their health or whatever, they're probably not going to touch this money sitting in the IRA until they're required to for required minimum distribution. So, you know, that money essentially is going to sit there and grow for the rest of their lives. So you talk about volatility, right? Like they actually have the risk tolerance of people much younger in that case, because you know, by definition, if you, if they kept it in this bond, in these bonds with this advisory fee, the money is going to go down. Or even if we just say just for sheer argument, it's going to stay the same. Okay. So just hypothetically, let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars, that hundred thousand is still going to be a hundred thousand dollars, 20 years from now. All right. But if they put it a hundred percent in equities, a hundred percent in VTSAX, I think there's a decent likelihood. Let's just say for argument's sake, we always say 8% is, is the average annual return we would hope for over a 20 plus year period. Okay. So very general, but we're going to go with that. Okay. So using the rule of 72, which helps you determine how quickly your money will double. Okay. So you take 72 and divide that by your expected return. So in this case it's eight. So 72 divided by eight is a nice round number nine. So you would anticipate the the money to double every nine years. So in an 18 year period, my parents' money would double from in the first nine years from 100,000 to 200,000, and then would double in the second nine years from 200 to 400,000. So that's the the quote unquote risky method, right? Because that's more volatile and there's a good chance that hundred thousand at some point will will dip or let's say it, you know, it doubled to two hundred. It might go down in year ten to one hundred and fifty. That's volatile. but it's still at one hundred and fifty, whereas if they left it in their bonds, it would still be a hundred. So which is truly riskier? So they would anticipate over an eighteen to twenty year period that it's going to double twice to about 400,000. So 400,000 in the quote unquote risky method or 100,000 in the safe method. Now, Jonathan, which is riskier?
0: Yeah. I mean, it sounds risky to lose $300,000.
2: Yeah. And that is a no brainer. And I think this is a crucial point for everyone listening maybe go back and listen to this again or just really think about it, which is riskier. And another example is, you know, I listened to Noah Kagan's podcast, which is called Noah Kagan presents, which is a really, really solid podcast. And Noah is a brilliant guy. I've heard him at keynote speeches at FinCon and, you know, in different podcasts and such. And I was struck by the fact that he said he keeps somewhere in the vicinity. I think it was 50 to 60% of his money in cash. Okay. Because he is afraid of the volatility. But i would challenge him to to listen to this and this is not to set up noah but it it was just so striking that someone who's a young guy i think he's early to mid 30s could fall prey to this same cognitive bias which is risk aversion essentially he's more worried about losing that money so again his hypothetical he has 100 grand right he would rather keep it in cash which that'll be 100 grand 40 years from now but if he put it in stocks I can guarantee him that there'll be volatility, but I can also guarantee him that that, had over a 40-year period, I mean, that's going to double four plus times, right? So, in that case, you're talking two million dollars potentially, right? So, you could turn a hundred thousand into, and this is back of the envelope, so don't don't hold me on the math here, but using my parents, exam, it was four hundred thousand. That w- doubling again would be eight hundred. Doubling again would be one point six million dollars. So, over 36 years, you would anticipate. Noah's 100,000 to go to 1.6 million if he took the again quote risky and I'm saying that as tongue in cheek as I can method of putting in equities and dealing with the volatility, getting over it mentally and just dealing with the volatility. Or you could take the safe method and have 100 grand 36 years from now. (laughs) To me, that is such a no-brainer, right?
0: Yeah, you know, normally I just title these episodes Friday roundups, which is great, but I may just retitle this episode. What's your risk tolerance? And because this conversation is one that you need to listen to, you need to lock this down and understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Great points, Brad, all the way around. Just so many things to hit on here. And this feedback from the community does allow us to fill out this picture in a way that allows more people to grasp the concept. So Nancy, we really appreciate you chipping in on this one.
2: Yeah. And just one last point about, about Nancy's post, she talked about, don't take more risks than you need to. If you have enough, Why take a lot of risk? And I think this maybe gets to the entire concept of the 4% rule. And maybe we can have big earn talk about this on a future "Ask the expert kind of call in. Wouldn't it be to- fun to
0: have earn and JL on the same call talking about this stuff?
2: Oh yeah, we should definitely, we should do our five round table, I think right? We're you and closer, I wanted man. to do that originally.
0: Yeah, we're getting closer to making that a reality. I think there's actual real interest there. That could be a very real possibility for maybe next year.
2: Yeah, I would love that. I would absolutely love that. But basically to take Nancy's thought to the logical conclusion If you don't want to take any risk, if you have enough, right? If you're at phi, quote unquote, then why not put everything in cash or everything in bonds? Well, the 4% rule, this safe withdrawal rate, it's predicated on a return. And that's why the money hopefully will last in perpetuity because otherwise, if you have a million dollars and you have $40,000 a year of expenses and the money, that million dollars is just sitting in cash again, you're not taking any risk, right? That money is going to be there. It's not going to go down, but you're pulling out. $40,000 $40,000 every year. So that means you have 25 years and that money is exhausted. It is gone. So somebody retiring at 35, that money's gone by 60. Now that's not the ideal scenario. The, the hope here is that that money moves along returning 8% on average a year, or whatever, whatever number you want to use, we use 8% and you're withdrawing your 4% every year, right? The amount to cover your expenses. But in essence, assuming sequence of return risk, which we actually talk about with earn coming up on Monday. So stay tuned with that, but barring any kind of crazy scenario, that money, your pot of a million dollars is actually not going down that that's the beautiful thing, right? If you're returning 8% and you're only pulling out 4%, well, you're, you're to the good there. So that's why I would argue Again, this is like a a really larger point and I don't have a doctorate in economics like earn does. So take this for what it's worth, but it's really important for us to separate mentally uh, this concept of risk, because I think there are multiple risks and I think it depends on really how you approach this problem mentally. So to me, the bigger risk is losing that upside by not being in equities, whereas someone who might be more of the loss aversion side, might look at it as a risk that their money is gonna be volatile and is gonna temporarily go down. So I understand both sides of it, but to me, the bigger risk is, as I as I showed in those examples, is sitting on your money in cash or in bonds and missing that huge upside over a 20 to 40 year period. So in essence, you have, as Joel from 5180 said, this perpetual money-making machine, right? This magic money-making machine that in, in this case, potentially will never go away, right? Like that's the hope is that you have this million dollar perpetual money making machine that spits off $40,000 a year checks. And if all goes well, because you're not taking this loss aversion type concern of just sticking it in cash or under a mattress or wherever you want to put it, but you're investing for the long term in the market, there's a real good chance that that money making machine is going to last forever. And that is a really powerful concept.
0: And if you want to join the conversation, we encourage you to consider being a part of our private Facebook group where we have nearly 2000 members. It's rapidly growing every single day. And this conversation is getting expanded. It's getting explored down into the details. People's actual unique scenarios are being evaluated and great advice is being given by people that have been in the FI community for over a decade. Tons of knowledge here from bloggers, high level fires, accountants, just really magical stuff happening in this group that I'm so proud to be a part of. Part of uh, we would love to see you there so if you want to join us just go to slash facebook follow the instructions there we'll send you an invite we would love to see you on the other side of that so you, if, if you're checking in with us for the first time, because maybe you listened to the episode this week or you found us from another source, thank you so much. The the fire is really spreading and it's amazing how these ideas have really captured the imagination, not only of the FI community, but of people who are discovering FI for the first time, frankly, because of this podcast. It's very rewarding. Brad, we were actually mentioned on Forbes.com last week. Did you realize that? And, no, I didn't. Yeah. They said that we were one of, I guess it was three or four podcasts for every age that they would recommend that you listen to. And I wanted to read you their one paragraph synopsis of our show. Cool. Do you tell? So Forbes says, whether your goal is to build wealth, invest more wisely, or discover travel hacks now that the kids are off to college, this series tips and shortcuts actually work. When you match a CPA with someone who has a love-hate relationship with frugal living, you get an immensely enjoyable podcast with actionable tips backed by financial wisdom. Yes, that's actually exactly who I am. I have a love-hate relationship with frugal living. I fight that battle every single day and it comes through on the podcast. And I love that they captured that. Nice. Yeah, that's certainly a good mention.
2: Forbes is obviously a very reputable name, so yeah, we're getting getting the word out here. Right? So fire we in the
0: news, saying. we're in the news, we made it. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to take just a second and catch you up on what the plan is for the contest with Alan Donegan. So we received over sixty submissions, and we've collated them. And what we're looking for now is several people in our community that would be interested in being a part of a panel, a ten-person panel to go through these and pick our finalists. Ultimately, we want to end up with six finalists that we can offer up to our Facebook group and they will vote on the final winner. But we would like to hopefully get a panel of people who are willing to dedicate a couple hours of their time to go through these submissions and help us pick out the finalists. So if that is something that appeals to you, it probably is a two to three hour commitment of your time. Uh, Just reach out to us, shoot us an email at feedback at choosefi.com. We'd love to include you in that. And it really is going to be a lot of fun. So we plan on taking the month of August to figure out figure out who these finalists are going to be, and then at the end of August, we will be presenting those to our Facebook group, and they will ultimately be voting on those six finalists and producing the ultimate winner, and then we'll take steps from there with Alan to really set this up, and this is going to be an ongoing project for the duration, the remainder of 2017, going into 2018, turning their idea for a side hustle into a, a side hustle and a business, and along the way, we plan on bringing Alan in, having him coach us through the process as well, doing it as part of the show, learning through the different things that you should be considering when you're starting a side hustle, how to do it without going into debt, how to scale it, how to automate it, how to get it visibility from social marketing online, all the different things that you need to consider. Hopefully bring in some of our other experts to help us maybe with some of the tax considerations that you should be thinking about really Building this holistic picture of what starting a side hustle actually looks like. So, I hope that that excites you, and that if you're interested in that, you would reach out to us uh, to participate in that process. We really could use some help from a few panelists. So, definitely let us know if that appeals to you. I think that while we're talking about side hustles, I should take a second just to say that Lance on our Facebook group just posted that he pulled his FI trigger. He is now officially at FI. He is retiring from work and he is going to be pursuing just pure FI with a side hustle on the side. And I wanted to personally congratulate him since he posted that today. Congratulations. I I wish that I had my whole soundboard set up so that you could do a phone call and say, I choose FI because we are going to get that going. But in the meantime, accept my verbal pat on the back. Congratulations, Lance. We are thrilled for you.
2: Yeah, that's incredible, Lance. Congratulations to you and your family. That's wonderful. It's going to be a thing,
0: guys. It's going to be a thing. All right, Brad. So one of the things we talked about was this idea of personal development of always getting better. Of trying to stretch yourself in some small way, and while I don't think that we have put this out to our Facebook group yet, I- I'm curious: have you done anything personally that you wanted to share with us this week, or were you just trying to survive?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, it's been a it's been a bad week in the household here, so mostly just trying to survive and get healthy. But but no, the one thing that I did this week is actually started reading more often. Now I had some extra hours, so that probably wasn't wasn't the biggest stretch in the world. But I've mentioned this book before on the podcast. It's called Poor Charlie's Almanac, and it's the wit and wisdom of Charles T. Munger. And now he is the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, which I'm sure you guys know is uh, commonly known as Warren Buffett's company. And this is just an absolutely brilliant book. And it's this like crazy, like 20 plus pound 600 page book. And I've had it for a while. I've been trying to read it and I just keep putting it down. I mean, frankly, because of the size of it more than anything, but I just said, I'm going to take even five to 10 pages a day and just really read even just five to 10 pages a day and just internalize the message and just with the the goal of finally getting through this book, it's been kind of like a big shame of mine that I haven't finished it. I mean, I think this is going to help my psychological perspective. I know he talks about mental models. That's one of Charlie Munger's big things. And it's, it's kind of approaching the world with this basic background in a bunch of different disciplines. And I, I think it's just a, a fascinating way to look at approaching problems and approaching different aspects that you're going to encounter in your life. So this is a highly recommended book. I'm not sure if your library is going to have it. And unfortunately it costs about 50 or $60 on Amazon. So (laughs) yeah, it's uh, (laughs) probably just shipping alone. It's, it's kind of crazy, but yeah, highly recommended book. Uh, Jonathan, what about you?
0: Uh, You know, it's actually interesting. So it's amazing what you say on a podcast that like actually resonates with other people sometimes. And Jennifer said she just ate salad without dressing and it tasted better than she thought it would. And she says, I may try that more often. I thought that was so interesting that I would come back to it only because there were 18 people that had additional thoughts to add to that. And it became an actual strand on our group. And let me go back to the point that for me. Buy is, Brad always says it's a superpower. But for me, it's this holistic model of just being a little bit more intentional and a little bit better in every aspect of my life. And health just goes right along with wealth. I mean, they just they're hand in hand, man. And for me, I'm always trying to look how to optimize my eating habits, which will improve my overall health. And I'm trying to decrease resistance to that process. So if I don't eat all this garbage food, then I don't have to go work it off. So maybe I can just cut that out and then I need to work out less in order to maintain the same level of fitness. That's just kind of like a general low-level thought in my mind. And let me tell you, there's two things that that I wanted to add on to this. One, lots of people had feedback on how to optimize just that no salad dressing idea a little bit better. And a few of those I was already doing, so I thought I would round that out. And then second, the financial aspect. Let me go ahead and address this. Nathaniel said, how much money did you save? 10 cents or 12 cents? And then he said, you need to take a hard look at yourself. Trying to be frugal by skipping dress- dressing is not effective. And while I can see how you would make that connection, I want to go ahead and add on to this that this was absolutely not about saving money. That I could care less about the 10 or 12 cents that you're saving on that meal. This was more about your overall health and well-being. But for me, one of the things I wanted to point out is that after you've been doing this for a while, one of the questions becomes, how can I reduce the amount of processed foods that are in my diet? And once you've worked through some of the heavy hitters, like your ridiculous sodas that have 10 teaspoons of sugar in it per serving, You start slowly working your way down the list. And at some point, salad dressing becomes an obvious target. Most commercially prepackaged salad dressings that you're going to find on your shelf, the better they taste, the more likely they are to contain massive amounts of sugar in it. So when you look at the ingredients on the back, you have 45 ingredients, some type of heavily processed oil, followed directly by sugar. There are other ways to do this. First of all, adding fruit, a little bit of fruit like blueberries or strawberries to a salad is one way to do it. Maybe mandarin oranges. Uh, That's one topping that you can put on instead of salad dressing. Or if you hadn't considered it, this is a place that I'm probably gonna go more in the future, just making it yourself. You can make a very simple salad dressing just by combining balsamic vinegar and olive oil. If you really wanna step it up a notch, uh, take a little bit of like mustard, either Dijon mustard or Grey Poupon, if you really wanna be fancy. And uh, finally, if you wanna add something to it that will actually keep it emulsified longer you can add just and i know this is going to sound weird but just the tiniest bit of mayo to your salad dressing and mayo acts as a natural emulsifier which means the oil and the vinegar which are not intended to be mixed will then stay stabilized for longer so uh maybe a little salt and pepper add those three things you have a delicious salad dressing that is amazing for you and that you can use lightly on your salad that might be another play for you to consider The other thing that I've been pondering over and over and over again, and actually it's become a running joke with me and my wife, is this idea of stimulus and response. And I think in that episode that we had with Dominic, he was talking about how in his head he always says 95.5. That's fine. And that's really cool. I've actually just been saying stimulus response. Anytime I go to do something, especially if I feel like it's habitual and it's probably not for my better health, I've been asking myself, what was my stimulus right now? And then what is my natural response? And do I want to analyze that or do I want to do something different? So for instance, when Danny and I are spending some time on the couch and maybe we're just about to watch TV, like one of us will raise our hand and say stimulus. And it's just become this inside joke that we go and we try and do something else. And and that's kind of cool, man, that you can, once you identify these habits in your life that maybe are not contributing to you being the best version of yourself, you can then just take a step back and say, is there another action that would result in a happier version? You know, because you know exactly what state you're going to be in after spending an hour watching TV. That is a totally status quo thing to do. But what if it's the perfect day outside and you are about to watch TV, but instead you and your wife and your son took a walk around the block together? That is the sort of stimulus response pause that we're trying to put in our lives. And we're just seeing how that outcome tweaks things lightly. So let us know what your stimulus and response decision was this week. We're very interested. And it's certainly something that's worth analyzing and seeing whether or not there's room to incorporate that into your own life. Wow, that's
2: really powerful, Jonathan. That's cool that uh, you've taken what what you essentially learned from Dominic's interview and and put it into place in your life that quickly. I think that- that is a huge change. I mean, I know my, uh, my thing is slightly underwhelming here with, uh, reading this book, but I hope people realize that, that it can be something small. Like when I, when I set that challenge and and I, I do plan to post this every single week in the Facebook group. So this is not just like a flash in the pan thing. I already have it in my to do list. So it's a, it's a recurring thing that I'm going to post every week to ask what you put into place this week that just optimize your life a little bit. And it could be something as simple as reading a book that you've wanted to for a while, not using salad dressing, like, like Jonathan said, or doing something that actually impacts your life, like having a focus on putting that space between stimulus and response. And I think Jonathan kind of touched on something important there with what Nathaniel said and about the, what'd you say of 10 to 12 cents. And I think it's important to know that our goal here at choose of I is not 100% financial. And the information that we're trying to get across to you is not just limited to finances. That would get pretty boring pretty quickly in my opinion. And if you guys have been listening closely, which I know from the Facebook group, many of you have been, you know that we're talking about a lot of life optimization tools, tricks, hacks, whatever you want to call it. ways to make your life less busy ways to make your life happier ways to optimize your health. This, concept of phi allows you to focus on things that are outside of the norm of quote unquote regular people like the regular office worker who is just kind of trying to pay the bills and get through the week or month or year or whatever it is like we have the ability to focus on these kind of higher level things that will make a difference in our overall quality of life so nathaniel reflexively went to what is that going to save you 10 cents whereas like I didn't get that impression from Jonathan at all. Like I thought it was, it was pretty apparent that he was talking about health and Jonathan is trying to get in better shape, lose a little bit of weight. And that's one tiny little hack that he got from his buddy who, as he said, is shredded at like a low body fat percentage. And maybe that'll move the needle. Maybe it won't, but, but it's one little thing, right? And if Jonathan put together 20 or 50 of those little things, I can guarantee you in a year, He's going to be in a whole lot better shape. You might think that one thing of having salad without dressing is kind of laughable. Or you might say, oh, wow, you know, maybe that'll work. Maybe I'll try it. Maybe that'll be one of my 52 things that I put in place one a week this year, right? Like that's what we're getting at here. So, certainly, while we'd love to have people in the Phi community on Jim Collins, bigger and mad scientist, we are definitely going to branch out and not just focus on the nuts and bolts of the numbers because it would get really pretty boring pretty quick. And I think many of you intuitively understand that. And also from hearing from people like the mad scientist and Carl from 1500 days, like as they're approaching Phi, they have talked about how the happiness metric and the life optimization how that has become so much more important to them so to think that that these conversations are outside of the phi community is really pretty laughable, in my opinion. And optimization of your entire life is the essence of phi, in my opinion. Now, of course, there's some discussion, as Noah from Money Metagame put in our Facebook group this week, about the concept of enough. And I do fully appreciate that. Like, I think continually striving for better and better at the risk of being obsessed with it, let's say, that is not a positive thing. I mean, I am not Personally, I'm not one of those like maximizer type people. I'm a, I think the term is satisficer where I'm very content without maximizing everything in my life. But that said, if I can make small progress towards a big goal over 10 or 20 years. That to me is what phi is all about. So it's not this continual burning desire to just check off boxes or do whatever other kind of like type A personality things that people would do. It's progress over time to have a better life. And listen, I am far from perfect at this as as my wife will will tell you. I fall down on a lot of it and it's just trying to be a little bit better. So I did want to take this couple of minutes sidebar to just talk about like the overall concept of what we believe choose is all about and to make you understand where we're going here. And this will always be a financial independence podcast, but financial independence is not limited to the nuts and bolts of, of numbers.
0: And let me just say that for you, hardcore five people out there, if you're not satisfied by the nuts and bolts that we're giving you this week and next week, JL Collins, part two, follow it up sequentially by big earn talking about secrets of return risk. So if you're not satisfied by a JL Collins Big Earned JL Collins sandwich, then nothing will satisfy you. So soak it up, my friends. And for those of you that like the cliffhanger, thanks for the feedback, guys. I try to throw you a little bit of a curveball there.
2: And yeah, we weren't trying to be weird or jerks there or anything. It was just Jim is so kind with his time. And we just talked and talked and talked for hours. And we just couldn't make it one episode. So it was it was a logical thought to kind of split it up there. And the second half is almost like an ask me anything from our Facebook group and our community. So, you know, a a huge thank you to Jim for his kindness and giving us his time and giving the community his time. Yes. A huge
0: thank you to Jim for sharing his time with us. It was an absolute blast just to be a part of it. All right. And Brad, talking about that overall holistic picture, I know at least one person that totally agrees with you. So would you like for me to start out by playing a voicemail?
2: Uh, Sure. Sounds
0: interesting. To our audience, you should know that I am the official guardian of the voicemail, so many times this is Brad's first time hearing it when it gets played on the show. So uh, yeah, enjoy, Brad.
1: Good morning, gentlemen. This is Scott calling in from Santiago, Chile. I just wanted to thank you guys for an amazing episode. I was just talking to my girlfriend, Kristen, about it. She just flew to New York and listened to it as soon as she woke up. And we were talking how your podcast is really helping people create that happiness and that mindfulness in their working lives while they're on the path to fire. This way, when they reach financial independence or they decide to retire early, people are already enjoying their lives and living a very happy, healthy, and fruitful existence rather than waiting till retirement and hoping that a magic bullet will come across and somehow creating this happiness just because they don't have to go to their nine-to-five hamster wheel, sorry, Jonathan, job. And I think really you're, you're doing everyone such a service in trying to incorporate these themes into the idea of financial independence, because obviously there are tons of sites out there who just focus on the numbers and the spreadsheets and don't really look at the happiness. And thank you for all the wonderful recommendations for books. I think I have about three different books going and hopefully we'll get Dominic's book shipped from New York when Kristen returns. Have an awesome day and thanks again for what you guys do. Keep up the good work.
0: That's awesome, Scott. Yeah. Thanks so much for the feedback. And uh, that is uh, Scott Barrett in San Diego, Chile, who is my brother, actually. That's uh, that's very very cool.
2: I actually did not realize that he left a voicemail, so that was that was neat. I and mean, it's funny how I've kind of, uh, in fairness, my brother is fantastic, and he's he does kind of humor me slash listen to me over, or has humored me and listened to me over the years. But it seems like people even in my family, like my mom and my brother are really taking a lot of this stuff to heart and taking action. And since he called in, I'll I'll mention something. He sent me via Facebook message where I guess he's doing like these daily items that will just kind of make his life better. Kind of similar to how how I'm doing a lot of stuff. So like Jonathan, you said, drinking X number amount of water per day or stretching and yoga and exercise, Spanish practice, mindfulness and reading and he's actually putting that on a calendar where he has this little calendar where it's all boxed off and when he does something that day he just puts a little check mark in it and it's very obvious that he's accomplishing these goals and doing these daily items that are going to make his life better so yeah i'm just i'm really proud of him and and yeah i certainly appreciate the the kind words
0: well, this this could be titled The Scott Show because I have a frugal one of the week that I'm a feature that features Scott as well. And, and one of the reasons I wanted to do it is because me and him are on so much of the same page right now. We're actually doing a lot of the same stuff. He started reading The 4-Hour Body. Uh, and by Tim Ferriss again. And as a result of that, he's trying to increase the amount of beans and lentils and legumes that that he's eating. And I'm doing the same thing. I've been actually I purchased I pulled the trigger on the Instapot for that exact reason. One of the things I look at is how can I reduce resistance? And I know one of my ultimate goals is that I want to try this form of dieting called slow carb dieting. And part of that is I want to massively increase the amount of beans and legumes that I'm consuming over the next six months or so. And forget that aside, the fact that he's doing this as well, we are kind of bouncing ideas off each other and he shared a couple of recipes with me. And one of the things I think people try to come up with is what it, what does a delicious, healthy breakfast actually look like? And All of us at some point come to the end of our own ideas. And it's the question is whether or not you're going to go back to the pop tarts or whether or not you want to make a better choice. And so I was asking Scott for his input on what it is that he's actually doing. And he was listing his breakfast out. Check this out. Breakfast eggs with Texas caviar. So corn, black beans, red onion, jalapeno, garlics, olive oil, lemon and lime juice, cilantro, salt and pepper, cumin and hot sauce. Does that not sound like literally the best breakfast you've ever heard of in your entire life? Like that is what I want my Monday and Friday to look like. Uh, so I'm actually going to hop on that bandwagon and going to get some of that stuff this week to pull the trigger on that. And then also just getting a couple recipes for like lentil soups and a few other ways to consume black beans. I don't know. It's just something that's something that I'm trying as well. So it was very interesting to me that he is on the exact same page and that's one of the levers that he's pulling currently. So thanks for sharing Scott.
2: And Jonathan from our Facebook group had a frugal win and he said, not huge, but I signed up for the free trial version of audible so I can listen to the Simple Path to Wealth, and The Millionaire Next Door. So yeah, that's that's kind of cool. I've, I've never used Audible personally, but I know a lot of people swear by it. Jonathan, you ever used it? Um,
0: I have purchased a couple books off Audible, and just frankly, I love the format. Just the same way I love podcasts, I love audiobooks. It's my preferred way uh, to get a book, if I can. So uh, the, Tim Ferriss has The 4-Hour Body in an audiobook, and I have not listened to J.L. Collins, though maybe we could do a giveaway for that at some point, uh, an audiobook version. We'll have to look into that. So Samantha, who, by the way, I should say is our resident expert on the Instapod and ultimately is the one that ended up selling me on this over the course of like the last two to three weeks. uh, She has a frugal one of the week and she says, we went on vacation with the family, a total of 10 of us. We went to Bryce Lake Powell, Antelope Slot Canyons, rented out an Airbnb in a central location. About an hour to an hour and a half in each place, and they cooked all of their meals from home. The Airbnb was a lot cheaper than most hotels, and it was much closer to the actual destination. Ate breakfast at home, made lunch and took it with us, and did cook ahead for dinner. We saved a lot of money, and most of my family is vegetarian, so we never find any good food at these national parks anyways. Needless to say, we took two Instapots and used them heavily. Honestly, if I were the Instapot community, I would try to hire her as a representative, because she has sold so many people on the fact that this is a must-have. In fact, if the Instapot is the gadget of the Phi community, she is the reason why. So uh, thanks for sharing your Frugal One of the Week with us.
2: All right. And Andrew said, 15 minutes from my front door, I have American Fork Canyon and the Timpanogos Caves. I've been living here six years and finally got up there with my 11-year-old. We ran into dozens of locals that walked the four-mile loop 1,600 feet of vertical and back down every morning. Even met an 80-year-old guy on the way down. He is my new hero. Great workout, beautiful surroundings, and completely free. Make a little part of your day Like fourth grade recess, if you can. That is so
0: valuable. You know, I think we talk about this idea of the most important thing being not stuff that you buy, but experiences. And I think that sometimes that gets conflated with spending money on experiences. But I think take the money out of it, just like taking the money out of personal development. It involves, where are you going to put your time? Because you can't buy more time. You can't loan it or borrow it, but you can invest your time. You can invest your time in people and in relationships, and that will pay dividends. See, that's for you five guys out there. I try to use numbers that you can relate to. And that is ultimately valuable. And so these ideas of, instead of just going to the movie theater, and I love movies. I'm not, I know I bash movies. I love movies, but I think that the problem is not that we don't watch enough TV. We don't watch enough movies. All of us probably Watch too much. What if you reclaim some of that and you put it into relationships, you put it into experiences and they don't have to be expensive, but they, they can involve time. I think that is really powerful. Okay, guys. So unfortunately, our 60 some odd minutes has... Come to an end, but we'd like to finish every episode by reading some feedback that we received on iTunes. And we actually do a drawing for a copy of a book that we found very useful. Uh, usually we do JL Collins' book, The Simple Path to Wealth. Uh, we also currently have several copies of Dominic's book, Design Your Future. And if you would like to enter in this drawing, all you need to do is just go to chooseify.com iTunes. Just follow the instructions uh, and it'll show you how to leave us a review. And then once you've done that, you would just let us know that you did it so we can match you up and you would just say, Send an email to feedback at choosefi.com. Just give us the screen name or leave a screenshot that you left it. And every week we do a drawing for a copy of these books. And we do one book for every five written reviews that we get. And Brad, how many books are we doing this week?
2: We are giving away two books this week. Okay. All right. Our first winner is Scotty. And he said, this is the first review I've ever written, but felt compelled to do so. This show offers consistent quality week in and week out. They do an excellent job of exploring topics, and I appreciate their humility. They don't claim to have all the answers, but will present different viewpoints and have expanded my knowledge on various different topics. I listen to this podcast feeding my six-week-old daughter at 2 a.m. It inspires me to be the best person I can for her and be more intentional. Thanks, guys. Keep it up. I would request some guests who are high-income earners like Physician on Fire. Great episode, by the way. White Coat Investor, Big Law Investor. Thanks.
0: Yeah, that would be pretty cool. I, I wonder if we could get uh, either white coat investor or big law investor on the show. I bet you we should we should reach out to them and see what happens.
2: Yeah. And I think we're going to have uh, Jeff from the Happy Philosopher on in the near future. He was actually just a guest on the Mad His podcast, and he's actually a physician as well. So while we're going to talk about a lot of kind of life optimization hacks, I know he can speak from a high income FI person. So I, I think that'll add some value as well.
0: We also need to get an Uber frugalist minimalist on board, like someone that's got it figured out for $10,000 a year, just to like, we need to see how far we can push the bar down. That would be very impressive. So we should, someone should shoot us some recommendations. Maybe there's someone we can look into. And our, final winner is Ryan. All right. And Ryan says the ultimate financial hack podcast. A friend recommended this podcast to me about a month ago, and I haven't been able to stop listening since the first episode. I'm 29 years old and never considered early retirement as a realistic option until listening to Brad and Jonathan unpack it. These guys are so selfless and are sharing this information for free. This podcast provides actionable tips in virtually every episode, and I have been able to implement many of them. At this point, I have changed my spending habits, started budgeting, increased my savings rate. And I'm thinking about how I can minimize income taxes. Thanks to this podcast. I've got my fiance on board and we have a plan to accumulate our FU money and retire years before our peers. Thanks for everything thus far and keep the great content coming. Yeah, it's picking up steam guys. There's a lot of great content coming your ways. A lot of doors are really opening and Brad and I, when we decided we were going to do this and make this our number one focus for the next, however long it takes, we decided that we wanted to constantly be positioning ourselves to learn something new and then take what we learned, turn it into a conversation and share it with you guys. And we love that you appreciate it and that you're benefiting from it. That is honestly what makes it all worth it. So the fire is spreading my friends and we'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled.
1: You've been listening to choose FI radio podcast where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.